I have a bit of uh, follow-up from the last show that I did, okay. uh, which was one of the first shows that I've ever done. You're, you're one of the very f- first few guests on the show, oh. which is pretty cool. It's, and it's going really well. I had a really good response to the first couple episodes, but I got some feedback. You do some podcasting, so you're probably familiar with this. Yeah. People who feel the need to probably explain to you how podcasting works. <laughs> you know, I've let I've I've been drafting behind Paul and just letting him get all that feedback. <laughs> this is probably for the better. Yeah. But I got some I got some feedback saying, uh, hey, it would be really nice if you did a little introduction to your guest each week. And I was yeah. I like the podcast where you just kind of start with the conversation and let it flow and all of that. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I, and I thought people, you know, that you have a quick look at the show notes before you start the podcast, but I think if people in their cars, they're maybe not so much. So, yeah. um, so I should, you know, probably introduce you. So, uh, Rich Ziotti. Yes. Welcome to the show. Well done. First attempt at the, at the last name pronunciation. Did I get that right? You got it right. So Ziad, I've heard all sorts. I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, we so this is how long ago it's been since we met. Yes, I was still going to South by Southwest, so that's got to be yes, yeah, many years ago because I haven't been. Um, well, maybe I don't know, five years ago, two thousand. I think it's about five or six years ago. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and we were both working on different things that were actually really interestingly related. Um, I was working on Typekit at the time, uh, mm-hmm. and you were doing readability. Yes, that's uh, right. And uh, and we ended up doing a little thing together where we got some fonts in your in your uh, product right. and and things like that. I thought that was pretty cool. It was um, really cool. You um I I was also just the biggest fan of readability, um, which uh, apparently a lot of people. I mean, even Apple was. I mean, they built it into their browser, didn't they? Ultimately, <laughs> they did do that. <laughs> it yes. was a, it was such a good idea. Um, yes. But the idea in a nutshell. I'll let you explain it. In a nutshell, I mean, it it takes. Uh, if you're on an article page, um, you can hit a button and it finds the part of the page that you really want to read, the, the text and the images that are relevant, and wipes away the entire page and presents it in a beautiful single column, clean, almost like word processory view that makes it really easy to read. You, you basically, um, you turned any page into what is today basically a medium post. That's right. That's right. And in fact, there is, there is lineage there um, between medium and read. Uh, readability actually had an impact on design. Uh, oh, for on sure. The, yeah, uh, for you, sure. You, start to, you started to see it over time. People are like, you know what? This is, I think they had a point. And you started to see actual yeah, I think Typekit had that impact as well. I think people are like, wow, wait, they care about the reading experience. And so I think you started to see a shift. And Medium, I think, just, you know, sort of punctuated it. And just now, it, if, you're not, if you're not behaving yourself in terms of, you know, readable content, then I think you'll, you'll pay the price. So it's great to see the New York Times, um, many sites now, just they're, they're just aesthetically, you don't need readability, which is great. Well, it's been quite a journey these past six or seven years or whatever it's yeah. been just in uh, how content is presented on the, mm-hmm. on the web. I think it's phenomenal. Yeah. So, and, and so kind of fast forward now, you're doing a, you've started a new company, new-ish, I guess. How long have you guys been, you and Paul, been doing um, uh, Postlight? Postlight is less than a year old. Uh, super exciting. Yeah, really. I mean, I had been talking to Paul 
for years about doing we we became friends and we just we would just sort of ramble on about random tech geeky stuff for hours and we're like you know what we don't we had no intention of working together i said you know what this i think this could work because we sort of we did the test already like we enjoy a lot of the same things and i think we can work i'm very wary of taking friendships into professional relationships it's it's just something that uh you just don't want to muddle often and you don't want to you know lead have it lead to a bad outcome it's, so just, I, it's like that convers every conversation in college we're like dude you know what we should do we should start a bar <laughs> exactly. we, we should we exactly. should own a bar that would be the best no, yeah, yeah. And it just destroys lives <laughs> <laughs> it totally happens and you know it happens with family as well it's even more amplified i think with family i got away with it by the way one of my co-founders one of my co-founders at typegate was my brother greg no kidding. Not I a, did not. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's a widely known fact, but he and I have worked together for a dozen years. So. Oh wow! And and you're still you still see each other on holidays? And... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. You pulled it off. I think I think that's the thing. I think if there's if both both sides are are pretty self aware enough and self conscious of of what's at stake, I think it can work. And and it's been great. We're almost a year in, and it's been just an absolute blast. We started a, a a digital studio here in New York City. We have both clients and sort of this corner of of the business where we just incubate stuff and try weird, crazy things. And it's been a blast. I mean, it's been growing so fast and we've been trying to sort of get it to, you know, sort of trying to gain, you know, not be so reactive and and feel like we're actually professionals at this, (laughs) but it's been, it's just been uh, a lot of fun. And I think we'll, you know, we're sort of settling into our voice and, and, and what we're about. The company's called Postlight. I don't know if I said that yet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. So marketing is the thing you're working on. That's good. Um, (laughs) Would you call yourself a design agency? You know, uh, I, we, I think that's part of what we do. I think we're, we're a product shop. I think design, design informs really great product. And so it's a huge part of what we do. We're definitely design driven, uh, to, to use a a phrase that's often thrown around. Um, but I think we go, we go beyond that. I, in that I was actually talking to Paul about this today. I said, you know, it's hard to explain us because, We'll architect a really beautiful, elegant API. And at the same right. time, we hire really, really great designers. And the team here is just, you know, brimming with really good UX talent. So it's odd to kind of throw both of those things into the same place. Right. Um, so I would say design and beyond, design and building um, is a kind of a way to frame what we do. So you guys are, you guys are shipping code. We're shipping code. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, a lot of people say that's insane. Why would you? Why would you ship code out of New York City? Uh, <laughs> it, because you've got you've got a lot of shops here that have their their sister offices in 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 other parts of the world where it's obviously a lot less costly. But here, I, I think you know what it is. We care deeply about the craft and the quality of the stuff. Uh, that's not to say that good quality stuff doesn't come out from elsewhere. But uh, our thinking is that that you know if to really create great product, I think the designers and the engineers kind of have to live together and that you don't throw it over the wall and say, hey, go build that. Yeah, that, you know, it sort of gets to my, this philosophy I've had of, of not having an engineering team and not having a design team, but just having a product team mm-hmm. that has both of those disciplines well represented inside of it. 
Exactly, exactly. And working together and, and, and really empathizing with each side, with, with one another. Um, you know, with the designer, you know, you have that sort of cliche, the designer saying, well, what's the big deal? Just go build it. I designed it. And then the engineer saying, you'll never understand that. That's unreasonable. Right. Uh, right. And I think having that dialogue is such a big deal. Um, and that's something we try to cultivate here. Well, that's cool. Um, you know, it's interesting the, just because I have had an agency, I, I you know, started one years ago and mm -hmm. have been kind of, you know, always keeping an eye on where design and development is happening and, and how's the agency world and how's that changing and stuff. And it, and it feels like, I don't know, it feels like, over, you know, five years ago, just all of the agencies, what I'm assuming is sort of your size and scope, mm -hmm. felt like they were just all getting gobbled up. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember the statistic, uh, John Maida, the design partner at Kleiner Perkins, um, did a talk at South by Southwest this year in which he said, ah, oh, something like in the last six years, 41 agencies have been acquired by tech companies. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, Google, Twitter, and Facebook leading them, just like getting as much of the talent in the industry as they can via, via acquisition. Mm -hmm. And so I, I find it frankly, refreshing to see a, an independent agency sort of coming up and, and doing really, you know, digital native stuff and, and yep. thriving. Yeah. No, you're, you're touching on, I mean, this is a trend that I actually went through my old agency where, you know, products like readability came out of and where we were doing other client work got acquired two years ago. And yeah. Where did, I mean, where did you guys go? Sorry. I don't, I don't remember that. We went to a large media company called oh, yeah. SFX entertainment and, you know, I mean, it was a talent. I mean, it yeah. was effectively, they didn't acquire us for our portfolio. They acquired us for the talent pool and the chemistry that already existed. You got a built-in, you know, built-in multiple product teams that right. worked together and understood one another. And, and that's a big deal, right? I mean, it's not just, wow, there's a shortage of talent. It's also, wow, this is pre-assembled. Like you just... Oh, take absolutely. it right out of the crate and you've got a team that works together. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I really like the talent acquisition, um, of an agency as opposed to another agency gobbling up the agency, mm -hmm. just um, collecting them. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, they tend to farm certain product projects over to certain agencies with that capability and stuff like yep. that. And it never yep. feels like there's any synthesis. And I, I don't know that, that whole world to me seems well, frankly, a lot more New York than San Francisco, but, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but I think the opportunity for a, for a team that, that, like you said, as chemistry can really work well together to focus their attention on one big problem, which is, I'm assuming what you did for a couple of years. Yep. That's very interesting. It was. And, and, you know, and it, we, we shipped some really, you know, a lot of product that we were really proud of, um, because that, you know, it wasn't difficult to sort of say, Hey, I'd like to introduce you to you know, Jane, please meet Bill and you're going to work together now and go. <laughs> so that, that was already in place, which was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to direct everybody's attention to, uh, the, the blog. Do you call it, do you call it a blog when it's on medium? Um, I think <laughs> it's a good question. I, they don't use medium doesn't use the word blog, which is kind of interesting. I right. think they've moved on from it. I think you have a publication on medium. <laughs> I think it's a publication. There's a lot of, there's all the, the vocabulary and medium I'm still trying to kind of process. We have a newsletter that comes out of the publications. Every time we post something, you get an email. It's, it's a whole thing. Right. Yeah, I want to direct people's attention there because you guys are doing some really good writing over there, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, and in particular, you wrote, a, you wrote a piece a couple weeks ago, I think it was, called App Fan Art. 
Yes. Sum that up a little bit. I thought it was great. Oh, uh, thanks. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm, I've been fascinated. I love poking around and finding designs that are out, whether they're on Dribble or just shared by agencies, design shops that are out there that want to showcase the talent they have. But every so often, you'll find someone just just go whole hog and say, you know what, I'm going to redesign LinkedIn. <laughs> now, it, that's a strange thing to wake up and say, right? I mean, that's that, you know, LinkedIn is something we, a lot of us live with. I mean, Facebook, Twitter, these are things we live with every day. And the thinking is that, you know what, I, I'm invested in this thing. I am not just a passive consumer. I am a participant in this let's call it movement. I mean, for, for years, Twitter really was a movement. Uh, and, and I have an opinion about this thing that I interact with every day. I have an opinion about how I can make it better and, and make my life better. And so obviously you can't just send an email and say, Hey, would you get, would you mind moving the button to the left to the big company? Right. It's just, that's not going to land anywhere. They have their teams of designers. And, and so what happens is unilaterally, you get these in really interesting designs that come out that partly I think are making a statement about the product and partly are showcasing the talent that redesigned the thing. So you'll find if you search, if you just type Facebook redesign concept in Google, you'll get tons of just people all, all over the world redesigning Facebook. Have you seen this website called uninvitedredesigns.com? I have not. No, there you go. You got to. You got to go. I it, when I was writing this article, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, well, it aggregates these, um, and actually, and more than just aggregates, it really curates. It like picks like really interesting, interesting. and yeah, it's, it's that's good. Really, that's really cool. And the beauty of these is, is you know, you don't have to take that design and then sheepishly walk it through the org chart. And see if you can somehow, some way, get it to see the light of day uh, from within that company. In fact, the bigger, I think I make this point in the article, the bigger the platform, the steeper the hill to actually make change. Because the impact of change is just so far reaching that there's just such a, there's such a hesitation. Right. Uh, to do anything. Um, you know, they may say, wow, you've got some interesting ideas here. Let's A, B test this in North Dakota for a week and see how it feels and whatnot. Um, you know, when, when Facebook came out with their, their, um, their emotions for the different, you know, there's the like button, but now they added like angry, sad, happy, right. You know, there's the different, it was news for weeks. Um, and it was a big deal. Like, oh, it's coming. <laughs> I remember The Verge put out an article <laughs> saying, more buttons are coming to Facebook, but we don't know when, but we're pretty sure it's going to happen. It was the equivalent of, of an iPhone leak, except it was just a few icons and buttons that were That's, coming to Facebook. You know, to be honest, it's probably even bigger than that, considering the, the global impact that... Exactly. Like, exactly. That's, that's culturally significant. You know? It really is. It really is. So, I mean, look, I, I respect and appreciate, you know, the gravity of doing that sort of thing. But, you know, I think the flip side of that is how do you really innovate and and really kind of come up with uh, something provocative? That's why I loved when Twitter 
had an API out and you just had everybody going buck wild with those apps and you saw some really wild stuff. And some of it was incredibly forward thinking and innovative. And it's because, you know, Twitter drew the fence out and said, here, go play. And uh, eventually, you know, they they acquired uh, a couple of them and then shut down the park, shut down the playground. And, you know, that was that in terms of, you know, innovating with an API. That's, that's, I think, would be the coolest outcome. You know, me being both a technologist and designer, if, you, if, if only some of these big players would actually provide endpoints so that designers could actually play with the actual service, I think that would just be amazing. I think, re, you know, that's where real innovation, I think, tends to thrive. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Uh, because then it's, you're, you're playing with real, actual data. As opposed exactly. to, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna fire up Sketch here and I'm gonna draw a picture and uh, post it to my Drupal account, as opposed to like look at what I built and yeah yeah I could see that. Uh, there's a rich tradition of this. I remember 37 Signals before they were a product company was a design agency, way mm-hmm. back right. And in fact, Basecamp was an internal tool that they were using to to track their their client projects. And, um, but before that, I remember Jason Freed posting on the 37 Signals blog, a redesign of a generic banking website saying, Hey, everybody who works at a bank, all of your websites are terrible. We have designed one like, and they're all the same. They all have Mm -hmm. the same data. They all have the same features. So we have designed one. If you want it, just hire us. And it was beautiful, right? And it was very sort of Web 2.0, and it used Ajax, and it was you know things like that. Mm-hmm. But that was that's an interesting take on it, which is certainly, as you said, use it as a bit of a portfolio piece, but at the same time saying, also by the way, it's for sale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and it, you know I think that kind of um, participation, I think that's where what inspired the title of the of the post, which is you know yeah, as a fan, of course I can buy the T-shirt and I can buy you know, the baseball cap. But what I really want to do is actually get in there and play. And, and, you know, if I happen to be really good at sketching or really good at painting or good at writing and and writing fan fiction, the, the idea of taking these characters and, and brands forward because I care about them and, and putting my own personality and sort of blending it into it, I think is really, really interesting. Um, And it's such a great way to sort of express your your fandom your 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 loyalty to the thing it takes work i mean it's not he didn't write a post right he didn't write 300 words and said you know banking sites suck call us and we'll do stuff it takes real work to redesign a site um it i mean that's a that's a gig for a lot of these designers and you know to to pause and do that it, it says a lot oh yeah for sure for sure well that and that's sort of the uh the unique thing about like fan fiction and fan art is just mm-hmm. the amount of effort that people, I mean, there's been thousands of Harry Potter novels written, right? By, 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 by fans out there. Right. I, I like how you trace the roots back to something and really fan fiction and fan art is something that is so just inherently of the internet, right? Yeah. Because, because of the sort of, you know, to, to use a lofty term, the democratization of distribution mm-hmm. in that yeah. it, it, anybody can create and anybody can get their creation to anybody else, uh, and occasionally it takes off. Yep. Yeah, and 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 you you see that you know YouTube might be the best example of actual 
new celebrity that is arising out of the remixing of content that used to be just, you know, part of the, you know, owned by big media and big publishing and whatnot. And, you know, you, you're seeing that materialize now in, in, in different ways where you've got, you know, I don't know if you call them artists. I guess they are. Some of them are artists and many of them are just, are just personalities that have millions of followers on, mm -hmm. on YouTube. Um, because they can cover songs, um, uh, you know, and I, you know, I don't follow this stuff intimately, but I remember there was some, there was a girl, she was a violin player and she would, she would cover pop songs with her violin and she was amazing. So she started to build her own audience and then kind of took it from there. And I, I think that's great. I think it's great as, as a, a sort of salute and, and, expression of loyalty to those original to the original works but also at the same time the carrying forward of it as you sort of bring your own bent or twist to it or, or whatever you're 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 taking you know uh, so uh, you know i get a lot of young designers asking me how they how to get started right mm -hmm. like you know, there's a chicken and egg thing right i don't have a mm -hmm. portfolio and every time i go for a, i try for a job they want to see my portfolio what do mm -hmm. i do Mm -hmm. Um, my advice to all of them is to, uh, not do spec work, but do pro bono work, which is mm -hmm. find the charity, the school that like anything, your, your church, your whatever, and make a really great website for them because you will not only be able to express your craft and your good taste and, and all of that, but you'll also be pushing up against a problem that has stakeholders and you'll have to, you know, interpret that problem into a thing that solves, yep. uh, into a solution. And that it's great advice. To be honest, that's, that's where I get a little bit, like that's where I see a counterpoint to this, uh, to this fan app art, which is that a designer from the outside who is frustrated with, LinkedIn, I think, is probably the, the best example, but is frustrated with a, <laughs> an interface that they're using and, and decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at this, couldn't possibly understand the constraints to the business model, to the technology platform, to all mm -hmm. the things that the company, uh, the big company has to face, so, the, so that they are sort of almost like a fantasy version of what, what a designer could do, right? Mm -hmm. I think back, mm -hmm. you remember this... Um, you remember Dustin Curtis, the, the the designer and blogger who who did this with American Airlines. This was uh, this was. I a, know Dustin Curtis. Yeah, I don't know this. This is a long time ago, and Dustin has taken most of his writing down um, and uh -huh. has kind of moved on from a lot of this stuff. But but you can still find it. I'll put a link in the show notes um, to okay. where um, he did this. He was frustrated with American Airlines website. He wrote up a, a blog post about it, and he mocked up a design that was very attractive and clean and straightforward and, and seemed to really understand the needs of a traveler as opposed to the needs of a giant uh, transportation mm. company. Mm -hmm. And it looked mm -hmm. really good. And he got an email from a user experience designer lead person at American Airlines saying all the reasons why uh, that person wanted to be able to do something like this, but couldn't. 
and they list it, you know, like, well, there's wow. designers in marketing and they have all of this and they're all of these uh, promotions that have to go up on the schedule and we have contra contractual relationships. And, and by the way, have you ever seen the API to Sabre and, you know, on and on and right, on, right? Right, right, right. And, sure. and Dustin said, well, that's amazing. Like, you know, I had no idea about any of this stuff. Thanks for sharing that. Can I post this to my blog? And, and uh, so he did. And the guy got fired. By American Airlines. They oh, no. Yeah, they let him go. Um, <laughs> oh, and, no. And, and I think there was like a postscript months later saying, oh, my God, thank you for getting me fired because I have a great job now or something like that. <laughs> but I, I, I think. I don't, I don't remember all the details. But but um, but that's one of the – I have been on the receiving end of these because I've worked at places like Google and mm -hmm. Adobe. And, there's, and Adobe's a great target for this kind of stuff. And I know that feeling of like, yeah, God, I wish we could do something this simple – but I have to go sit in a conference room with 25 other people who have bigger budgets than I do. And, mm -hmm. um, and there's, just, there's just no way we can get there. And, and I know what that's like. I mean, I'm working on, a, on the Adobe uh, switch over to Creative Cloud. And mm -hmm. just the unbelievable amount of technical debt in, in things like credit card processing through SAP, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, we could literally do that, this all this afternoon using Stripe, right? And, yeah. But you yeah. can't. Because it's yeah. a public company and there's uh, Sarbanes-Oxley and on and on and on, right? Yep, yeah. So, um, so part of me sort of takes this um, approach that I think Mike Montero has so eloquently written in his books, um, Design as a Job, in which, you know, like 10% of your job as a designer is in Photoshop and the rest of the 90% is out like kicking ass in the company to get this stuff done. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's a great observation. I mean, that's real. And you must see that with clients all the time. I don't know if that's if that's coming up in your work. I certainly have in in my work. Oh, absolutely. I mean, of course, without a doubt. Um, if anything, you get, you know, the one of the advantages, by the way, to going outside is that we we sort of we lean on our independence that as an external entity as this place that it doesn't, you know, is less bogged down by all the limitations and we're going to show you what the future can look like. And then, you know, sometimes we're asked to go in there and navigate, but oftentimes we're just sort of left, we're supposed to just leave something at the door. We're supposed to understand why are we in the room? Why did you even think about going to an outside shop to do something pretty dramatic to your current experience. So ultimately revisiting a design, right? What, what Dustin probably didn't cover and I haven't read his piece is that you're losing money, American airlines. Uh, you, there's, you're losing, people are bailing on you. People are going to other places. They're going to other airlines because you, you know, there isn't a graph anywhere and there's no spreadsheet for me to show this, but I guarantee you people are bailing on this experience and it's affecting your business. And I think over the last few years, there's been a much more dramatic ascent in, in thinking around how good design actually translates into, into better business, into good business. The truth is you were at Adobe, right? And um, the writing was on the wall. Like you had the wind at your back in terms of getting this done. Now, yeah, you had to navigate through probably all sorts of hell, but it was probably ex I don't know this for certain, but almost existential for Adobe to get this right. 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 I mean, you were armed with like, listen, hey, yeah, I hear you, and I'm really sorry about all that nonsense you have to deal with. But guess what? 
there's no more, there's, you know, boxes of our software are no longer at Staples. So now what, right? So you had, I think, a, a, a business mandate that was going to power you through. I think what's rough for a lot of designers or design groups in many organizations is that they haven't, they don't have, they're not armed with that. And they're still viewed as sort of part of us as a services group within an organization. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I, and, and I can only imagine that the CEO of American Airlines probably wasn't too concerned about the interaction design on the website. Exactly. I, he was thinking exactly. about how many how many minutes the planes are sitting on the tarmac, right? Exactly, like exactly. Yeah. exactly. And, and cost of fuel and, and yeah. just the typical things that hit his numbers. I think Apple's changed a lot of this. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, we, because of just how meaningful design is to their business. Like the, the truth is there's tons of innovation that happens at, at Apple, but you, no one would argue that they are design that they aren't design driven. I mean, it's, and I think many other businesses are, are starting to wake up to the fact that they need to, like we have customer, we have clients that are banks that have, be, have really start to care and think deeply about the design and the experiences around the tools, even internal tools, by the way, we work on internal tools for investment banks that have to be great um, and have to be zero training and engaging and useful and usable. And, and, you know, I don't have to go back very long uh, to the days when that was unheard of for it to be a factor in how something worked. Oh yeah, for sure. You uh, enterprise software was something that, had no interest in usability because people are required to do it for their job and we'll just train them. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I'm sure that's part of American Airlines sentiment as well. It's like, hey, where else are they going to go? They got to book this ticket, right? right. So they're going to feel, they're going to go through this pain. I booked an, Am an Amtrak trip up to Boston a week, uh, about a week and a half ago and I couldn't believe what I, I felt like I was in, it was 1999 again. It was just this awful, awful experience. But the Acela trip <laughs> between New York and Boston, there wasn't a lot of competition. There weren't a lot of other ways for me to get that ticket. So here I am. <laughs> um, but I, I think that progress is, is being made. And I think design is being elevated beyond just support group. Uh, but it's still not entirely there. I mean, a credit to Adobe, by the way, I, I'm sure you've got some amazing war stories, but and scars to go with it. <laughs> scars to go with it but you know what they did it and yeah. you know big company big publicly traded companies often this is the thing that kills them this is the thing they, they slowly bleed because of they, they can't they, they can't get their act together to, to 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 make that sort of change that's not just technical it's it's cultural right? oh my and god I mean, it was hugely hugely it's cultural way for better sure. than i can i'm sure um, you got to write that book, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you can write that book. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I, I find all of this just super, super interesting. Um, especially the point you make about competition. When you say you have clients that are banks that are realizing that their user experience has to be better. I think that's where, frankly, a lot of uh, the startups out of Silicon Valley are, are adding fuel to the fire. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're some giant bank that's been around for hundreds of years and you've got this great or you've got, you know, you've moved your business to, to, to be largely digital in the way you interact with your customers. And then all of a sudden they're square and people yeah. are like, wow, that's amazing. Well, how come yeah. my bank doesn't work this way? Or there's yeah. Apple Pay and suddenly, you know, you're, you're standing there flat footed. What do you do? Exactly. 
exactly. And I, I think that's what causes a lot of that sort of change. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got the, the you know, the valley that just doesn't, I mean, it's, it exists to disrupt, right? Like their goal in life is to find these terrible inefficiencies and these awful experiences and just exploit the hell out of them. Right. Um, and, and more power to them. I mean, that's, that's innovation. And, and, but what you have is you have the, the establishment sort of getting caught flat footed and not just saying, Hey, why don't we go to go, go hire frog? That's just not going to cut it. They're, they're pausing and saying to themselves, okay, well, how do I start to infuse this into how we think and how we work? Um, or we're, or we're screwed. I mean, that's, that's just how, I mean, you, this, this hat, this, you could run down the various industries, publishing, banking, uh, taxis, (laughs) you know, uh, all of it. Healthcare, everything. Yeah. Healthcare. I mean, and you know, and that's going to continue to happen. I mean, that's how, I mean, we're comparing it in terms of Silicon Valley to, you know, roughly the, you know, the rest of the country or the East Coast, you know, and New York and, and sort of established industries. But this has been happening since, you know, we, we, could, we could have been having this podcast during the Industrial Revolution. The same wave of disruption happened then. That's right. <laughs> Steam everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, so let me... Um... That that was fantastic, and and I want to change gears a little bit uh, because there's something else you guys have been working on at Postlight that sort of caught yep. my attention because I didn't I haven't followed this too closely, and that is uh, you guys have invested a little bit in Google AMP, which are the um, let me make mm-hmm. sure I get this right accelerated mobile pages. That's correct. Yeah, and I've been watching you know a little bit kind of on the sidelines with Facebook doing instant articles. Yep. All of this, it seems there's been this sort of flurry of activity since, uh, really since iOS launched the content blockers, right? Mm-hmm. Where everybody mm-hmm. was yeah, like, oh, geez, yeah, you're right. We've been fat and lazy, and now yep. those times are potentially over. Uh, we actually should probably come up with a proper solution for the fact that uh, browsing the web on a mobile device can be just a horrific experience. Yep, exactly. And so there's a couple of technologies that have come out as a result. And t- tell me what you guys have done with, uh, yeah. you call it Mercury, right? Yes, it's called Mercury. So this actually came about because some of our clients, and we're, we're, we've, we've got a few clients in the media and publishing space, um, are coming to us, and prospects as well, by the way, saying, hey, I, Google, you know, the way it's motivating people to get on Google AMP is that if you search for a news, if you type in Trump on your mobile phone in a browser, the very top of the page uh, are these cards that you can swipe left and right that are Google AMP pages. So Google essentially made the following declaration. If you you support Google AMP, we're going to put you at the top. (laughs) Okay. When Google does that, um, everyone pays attention, and that's exactly what they've done with AMP. Um, now, if you visit the the Google AMP site, what you'll find is a set of documentation and a spec um, for how to implement AMP uh, against your pages. Now, the good news is if you're WordPress, you're all set, more or less, because there's an AMP plugin that will output your stuff that's coming out of WordPress to in Google AMP format. It's a format is a good way to just look at it. You just have to mark it up. Yeah, it's actually just a kind of a subset of HTML with a couple extra attributes and things like that, right? Exactly, exactly. It's a subset and superset 
at the same time of HTML. Um, but it's quite strict, meaning for it to do its work, for Google to make these pages blazing fast, um, you can, like browsers are incredibly forgiving of markup. Um, but as far as Google's concerned, you know, your AMP pages need to be airtight. Um, and so work, uh, people uh, were contacting us saying, hey, we need, we need to modify our CMS to support uh, Google AMP. And depending on what was in front of us, uh, you know, depending on whether it was a homegrown custom CMS or was a, it was a, a modification at Drupal or whatever it may be, it was work. It took real work to actually bolt on this AMP output to, to the CMS. So we paused and said, you know what, I th we think we could solve this. We think we can just make it so that you just drop a line of code in to your existing templates um, and we'll take care of the AMP output. Um, and uh, that's Mercury. And if you go to mercury.postsite.com, you sign up in like a minute, and then it gives you a line of code to just drop into your pages. And what we do is we transform your existing pages into AMP pages without doing all of the rewiring and technical work usually necessary that would be necessary otherwise to get on Google AMP. And so you would you like crawl the page and then try to parse the HTML? I mean, it sounds like you're doing a, almost a behind the scenes of what readability did a little bit. Sort of, sort of. You try to in, intuit what's the headline and what's the body and all of that kind of stuff or and That's right. strip away everything else? That's step one. Step one is get me the core content so that I can take it and essentially dress it up with the, the AMP markup. So step one is scrub everything out and let's, let's get to the core content. Step two is wire it up and mark it up for AMP purposes. Okay. And that's what the process does. Google actually takes it from there. We, Google caches the AMP files. So yeah, there's a um, there's an AMP cache, right? So that's right. So that's that right. means they're essentially pushing the, and that's how they can be so fast, I guess. They they they, right. they suck up all the AMP pages and put them, um, I guess, when they crawl, right? They follow a link mm -hmm. and um, and then put them on a CDN. Yep, and that's why it just feels near instant when you're on a phone and you tap one of those cards uh, that came up in the results. It's really and nice. I mean, it's a really nice experience. And what I, you know, what we like about it is it's, it's, it's an open standard, meaning not, it's not, you're not, you're not, you don't have to just comply with Google. It's, it's a standard that anyone can conform to and bring AMP to the web. Um, so it's not inside of an app that you have to go download. Right. It's just like, like instant articles from Facebook is really like, just give us all your stuff and we're going to put it in here. Exactly. I mean, it's the, it's the same spirit as AMP. Instant articles is 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 quite similar except that it's inside of Facebook. It's not something that And to be honest, uh, they can then kind of abandon a lot of the overhead of browsers and things like that. It's it's a kind of a remarkable experience though. It's a great experience. It's uh, you know, it, it makes it's it, I feel definitely more motivated when I see that little lightning bolt which right. connotates an, an instant article in Facebook. I know I'm not going to lie. It makes me a little sad. Um it, it's just I feel like you know the web is sort of getting carved away at and, yep. and, and, and more and more control. And I don't say control, it's just called territories is ending up in these places that are not open. Um, and you know, trust me, I'm a, I'm a thriving capitalist, but 
a lot of the great innovation that's happened happened because of the openness of the web. And, oh, and yeah, no, I've, I, I go back to the old school with all of that stuff for sure. I, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. But at the same, at the same time, I have not seen the web as a platform keep pace with the native apps um, or the native platforms, I should say. Yeah. For certain tasks, right? Yeah. Like I yeah. don't have, you know, I don't have Wikipedia in an app on my iPad. I go to the web mm-hmm. for that and it's really, really good at that. And those pages ch- change every day and there's millions and millions of them and, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I don't use the Gmail web app as much as no. I do a native email client. No, so, exactly. Um, exactly. So a time and a place for each thing and I, and I get all of that. I think what's unfortunate is also that the article is just under siege on the web. I mean, it's it's something like, Less, you know, 10 to 20% of the app payload is the actual article. There's if that, oh, yeah, so if that. many external ad serve or, or met, you know, analytics. It's just this bloated mess that comes in for something that should be trivial. I mean, it's just some words and a pi- picture, probably. Yeah. Um, but here we are. Well, so. <laughs> and yes, exactly. And I think it's a, pen, it'll be a pendulum swing. That's generally what happened because the it's generally what I think that's right. Was so far out where you have three, four megabyte downloads for a 500 word article. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, just the constant pinging of all of these tracking and all of that. Like, and, and we've, as an industry, sort of discussed this ad nauseum now that, yeah. yes, content sites by and large have abused the hell out of the web. And so Facebook and, and Google wanting that experience to be a better experience for their users, I think are saying, look, we're really good at this stuff. Let us do this for you. Yeah. And I think a bunch of people will let them do that for them. Yeah. We'll find other reasons why somewhere in the middle might be a better idea where the, the desire to have a really high performance page and site, um, but still have more control over the business model and things like that. I, you know, I think I, I think that's where we're destined to end up. We just have to swing in the other direction for a while. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. So, is um I, one last question, just because I haven't gotten my head totally around this is is the search results page and I guess Google News are those the two entry points to seeing AMP pages? I'm not just going to stumble across them while I'm browsing the web, am I? Uh, that's a great question. I I. Th- I so far I've seen it really. I mean, the primary refer is the search results page. I have not seen. I don't know if there's, there's a way to just point to the AMP page. Yeah, that's what I was wondering because it a, doesn't make any sense. question to go to a regular, like out on the web content page and mm-hmm. then bounce to an AMP page via the link. Right. Because then you're loading. That's even worse. Now, I've, now I'm double loading stuff and, and things like that. So, yeah. so the idea is just to have almost this shadow version of my website that Google is going to crawl. Mm-hmm. And when it comes up in results or if they feature it in Google News, then, you know, it'll get the little lightning bolt or whatever they end up with. And, <laughs> right. And I'll just, just interact that way. Now, how does yeah. how is advertising working on those sites as well? Around those pages, I should say. You know, uh, you can pass it through. Uh, sort of if you've seen how it's starting to materialize in instant articles, I, I think it's going to be a similar type of model yeah. where they'll sort of wave in certain sources um, from certain networks and, and whatnot that'll make it into the AMP experience. I think, I think what Google's doing here is they're saying, okay, guys, it got out of hand. Let's reset everything. And let's apply uh, some some guide some guidelines here. Um, 
frankly, just resetting everything is going to make life better. Even if they start letting a lot of them in, um, you just need, it's just, the whole thing got so out of hand, you know, you're, you're, you're downloading three, four megabytes just to get an article. I right. mean, right. <laughs> so I think I, you know, and, and you can see it sort of starting to materialize with instant articles too. Um, it's, it's comes, you know, you, you can start reading instantly and it's sort of lazy loading the, the, the ads and whatever else is coming through as you're scrolling. So the, the focus is on the experience, but I think, I think, you know, the same, the same uh, ad networks and whatnot will make it through. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, and, um, it's an interesting approach as well. I, you know, I've been involved in web standards for years and years and years. Uh, mm -hmm. Did a lot of uh, work with the W3C way back in the 90s and, and things oh. like that. And, and what I found with my own experience was that embedding the web standards philosophy and, um, and practices in a commercial enterprise is a far, far quicker way to distribution, the, the, to getting standards out there. Like that's exactly what we did with Typekit. Typekit was at its essence a web standards platform for doing you know fonts with CSS. And what what Google is doing, uh, I think as well, is the potential to uh, dramatically publicize a standards-based way of perhaps making the web uh, a more... Um, performant and user-friendly place. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think you're you're hitting it on the head. So the last thing I have here in my notes, uh, have you been following this news with Nest? Yep. Tony Fidel, the CEO of Nest, mm -hmm. kind of under fire over these last few months. Yeah. For the sort of lack of, at least externally, the lack of progress that the, the I guess, the division of Google or Alphabet um, has been making. Um, a lot of products that were anticipated haven't shipped and things like that, as well as a lot of the sort of... Um, cultural, I don't know, it, it didn't sound like a very fun place to work. Anyway, he stepped down last week, and I found that interesting just in, because... I, I did hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stepped down with that lovely corporate euphemism. <laughs> I, I find that interesting because Nest, to me, was one of those, uh, like a poster child for a design-driven organization, mm. right? Leading with design. Tony Fidel himself calls himself, characterizes himself as a designer. It's just interesting to me that even, even in the examples that we've seen, like we were talking about Apple earlier, I think Nest, a great example, clearly disruption through a better user experience in their products. Yet it's not the silver bullet that just makes companies magically work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I do know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, I remember a few months ago they had, they had acquired and folded in drop cam, right. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And there was a whole uproar about how, uh, the drop cam crew was being handled by Tony Fidel and management and how it was just, you know, it is the classic, the classic, sort of territorial politics and, and, you know, kicked in. Um, you had a very particular group that had a very particular success and, and it really truly was a success. Um, and, uh, but then you're, you're coming into a setting where you're, you're, you're subordinate to whatever else is there and, you know, the classic human dynamics and, and politics kicked in. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's funny to hear this in the context. Usually, usually you, you you read about this inside of you know old school publishing or investment banks, but it's funny to see this in design because you just assume that there's this 
there's a higher order at work I know. <laughs> when it comes to design <laughs> that there's just a greater mission always and that people are you know will always kind of uh fall in the line and and a lot you know and it would just everyone would be in lockstep and all that so it's it's a little uh, it's it's strange to see this kind of a breakdown in this part of the world uh in this industry uh just because it's just so principled and and so driven by you know making great things and and the craft of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was, he had an interesting quote in the article because I think a lot about team culture and and I've talked about it here on the podcast and and things like that. Um, the, the interviewer, where was it? At Bloomberg, asked him straight out, "Hey, are you a tyrant?" And um, and he just said, well, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. And that style might not be for everyone. And I was like, oh, wow, all right, own it. Oh, That's boy. there you go. <laughs> but oh, but later, you know, he talks about like not accepting the status quo and pushing yourself and that kind of stuff, but also pushing the people on your team harder than they could ever imagine. And that uh, is not consistent with. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. You've done a startup. You're doing one, essentially. I've, I've done startups. I've worked in the yeah. big companies. I know what it's like to work harder than I ever have before, but at yeah. the same time, creating an environment for creativity that, uh, where people can really thrive and feel appreciated yeah. and, and feel – and given the proper momentum – both fast and slow when it's appropriate. Like you can't sprint a marathon forever. Right. And so I don't know. I, I wonder how much that had to do with all of this. Yeah. Well. It's, it's, it's also, I just don't know. I mean, you can add, you can add more plows to the field. Uh, it's just, when it comes to design, I, I think, I think the setting and the environment, um, I think the more, pressure the more you move the walls in i think the worse the outcome actually it's it's not going to work in a similar way i, I can't imagine i i think you've got to leave johnny you, no one's talked to johnny ive about his budget or about how there's an issue with hr like the, the it's almost the, that ground that he has to run around in is 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 hallowed right like no one and that's an extreme example but you have to think for creative thing you know problem solving and 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 innovation to thrive it can't be a place where you're just you know hollering at people and and putting more pressure on work hours and all this stuff it's just not going to work i i just can't imagine it working no, I can't. I can't either. I just I, anyway, I find that all interesting in in the, interesting. in the context of design driven companies and things mm. like that. So, mm. uh, so Rich, let your people go home early today, would you? <laughs> <laughs> it is a sunny day here in New York. I'll do nice. that. So, where can people find more about what you're doing? I guess postlight.com is where you're at. Postlight.com. Um, there's also which right at the top. There's a newsletter thing which hooks you into track changes, which are, is our newsletter and our podcast. Great name. Um, yeah, we, we debated that one. I, I got Paul Ford standing next to me here, Jeff. Like I, and like, Oh yeah, let's, let's think creatively. And, and Rich, why don't you write something? I'm like, damn it. You're freaking Paul Ford, right? Like <laughs> writers of the last 20 years. And I, I'm like, yeah, why don't you write a blog post or whatever you call it these days? Um, track changes, uh, dot Um, Mercury's at mercury .com. But if you just hit postlight.com, you'll see everything. And where are you on the Twitter? Uh, I am Rich Ziadi on Twitter. R I C H Z I A D E. All right. This was a lot of fun, Jeff. I really, really enjoyed it. Likewise, me too. Thanks so much for being on. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure.